This morning we're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians and we're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But today we're going to read not the whole of the chapter, we're going to read verses 1 to 6 and then 20 to 40. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And now we're going to continue on at verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not understand me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church, and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. 
I've given today's message the title, The Gift of Prophecy, Eagerly Desiring and Carefully Discerning. And that pretty much sums up today's message. The gift of prophecy, next to the gift of languages, was well, probably one of the most contentious of the spiritual gifts, and yet it shouldn't be. Paul spends a fair bit of time teaching us about the gift of prophecy. You know, out of the, all of the gifts that we have the most teaching on, the two most contentious are the ones, the ones we actually have the most teaching. They shouldn't be contentious. We know more about them than, than most others. Um, but unlike the gift of languages, which should usually be used in private, the gift of prophecy is something that should be shared. And what makes this gift contentious is once again the cessationists believe that the gift of prophecy has passed away, right? So the cessationists believe that certain what they call sign gifts have ceased, thus their name. Um, so they believe that prophecy is one of the sign gifts and it's not needed anymore because once the New Testament was written, the revelation of God was complete, there's no need for any further revelation and so the gift of prophecy just stopped. Uh, but a few weeks ago we discussed their belief and, and how it's largely based on a profound misrepresentation of the scriptures. Yes, we are told that these gifts will pass away, sure enough. But that's not going to happen until the perfect has come. So when is that? Well, clearly the perfect has come when Jesus returns. When we are in the presence of God face to face, we're not going to need the gift of prophecy anymore. Uh, but Jesus hasn't come back yet, has he? And if God wants to share a word of encouragement or a word of direction or an assurance of his purpose, or an assurance of his presence, don't you think that, that we should want to hear that word? I mean, I do. I want to hear it if God wants to share something like that with us. And that's why the gift of prophecy is still very important today. Now, before we actually dig into what the gift of prophecy is and how it should be used, I want to give you four biblical reasons why I believe the gift of prophecy continues today. Firstly, we are living in the last days. Prophecy is listed among the spiritual gifts and the spiritual gifts were given to the church for the purpose of building up the church. And while ever the church continues to exist, God continues to do his mighty works through the church, through the power of his Holy Spirit, through spiritual gifts. And there is no biblical evidence that we should expect these gifts to disappear before Jesus returns. They continue right through to the end. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost, Peter gave an explanation of what was going on and he quotes the prophet Joel. So reading from Acts chapter 2, it says, In the last days, God says, Right? In the last days, not, not just for a few short years after the ascension of Jesus, but in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will what? Prophesy. There once was a time 
and we can read about it in the Old Testament, when God's Holy Spirit came upon certain people at certain times um, for God to carry out his purpose through them. And so his Holy Spirit would come upon somebody and they would become a prophet and prophesy to the nation or whatever. But on the day of Pentecost, everything changed. From then on, it wasn't limited just to, to just a few special people. From then on, God would pour out his Holy Spirit on all people, on everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And this was called the top period of the last days. And we are living in the last days. The last days haven't finished. That's what makes them the last days. There isn't anything to come after that except for the return of Jesus. The last days will continue until Jesus returns. Our sons and daughters will prophesy. Our young men will see visions. Our old men will dream dreams. Now I'm a grandpa, I'm probably allowed to start dreaming a bit. Um, I can never remember whether it's young men who see visions or... But uh, there it is. The young men see visions, the old men dream dreams. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Secondly, in the revelation of Jesus Christ... Uh, the last book of the Bible and the last series that we studied, by the way. Um, and in that book of Revelation, we are told about two witnesses who will appear at the end of time. And these witnesses are very clearly described as prophets. And what they do, they do a whole bunch of stuff, including prophecy. Now, we know the book of Revelation is very symbolic but whether these be two literal witnesses or whether they represent the witness of the whole Christian church, which I believe they do, we are specifically told that they will prophesy. And so here we are in the final book of the Bible, in the final chapter of the world's history. And what do we see? God's faithful witnesses are continuing to prophesy. Now, this one might seem a bit strange to you, but the third reason I believe the spiritual gift of prophecy continues is because we are told to watch out for false prophets. Um, they're described as wolves in sheep's clothing. That means that they look like the real deal. Uh, sometimes it's not so easy to distinguish a false prophet from a true prophet. Um, and often people are led astray by false prophets. Now, if the gift of prophecies has finished, what danger would there be of being led astray by a false prophet? Because, oh, you're prophesying. Oh, you're a false one. It, it would be very easy to tell. But no, we're told that it's very difficult to tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. Because the gift of prophecy continues... It is behoving upon us to watch out for false prophets. And fourthly, I believe the gift of prophecy continues because we are commanded to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. We are also commanded to test it and we're also commanded to not despise it and to eagerly desire it. And God doesn't often take his commands back. Um, and we are clearly commanded to do those things. Right. So what is it? Is the gift of prophecy like the prophets of the Old Testament? 
or is it something different today? Uh, as I was preparing for today, I read a number of definitions of prophecy and and some theologians have the tendency to present the gift of prophecy today as something more like preaching. Uh, some use the distinction between foretelling and forthtelling, right? You know the difference? So foretelling is telling something that's going to happen in the future. Forthtelling is telling something that God has already revealed. And they sort of make those distinctions and they say, you know, while prophecy used to be a lot of foretelling, there was also foretelling, but now we should only expect prophecy to be foretelling. We don't have any foretelling. But I don't think that really stacks up at all. And I'm determined today that we're not just going to try and explain this gift of prophecy away. Um, I think we need to be open that we actually have a powerful God and we have a God who can work through us and through the power of his Holy Spirit actually do supernatural stuff. Are you with me on that one? Yeah? Oh, good. Otherwise, we're going to have real trouble today. And so I'm determined today that we're just going to search the scriptures and see what the scriptures say for the church today. So let's begin with today's reading, but I'm also going to be drawing from other passages in the Bible to fill out our understanding. Firstly, prophecy is a gift that we should desire. Verse 1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, to earnestly desire is to crave it. It's to almost be jealous to have it. Now, we tend to think of jealousy as a bad thing, don't we? Is jealousy ever good? Yes, it is. If somebody was making moves on my wife, it would be right for me to be jealous, to be jealous about that. God is jealous for our worship. He is jealous that if we give our worship to anyone else, then that's wrong. He is the only one who deserves it. And it's a bit like it's a good form of jealousy here. We have to eagerly desire this, Lord, I really, really want this spiritual gift. Please give me this gift of prophecy. But why should we desire it? Is it for our own benefit? Usually, the flesh is what makes us jealous, isn't it? It's like we start eagerly desiring stuff just for ourselves. But you see, we shouldn't be desiring this gift to benefit ourselves. It's for the benefit of others. It's for their upbuilding, their encouragement and consolation. So there you go. There's three words that describe the purpose of prophecy. Upbuilding. It helps to develop our faith and to shape us into the disciples of Jesus that he wants us to be. Encouragement. Now, I might have to explain this one a bit. Um, when we tend to think of encouragement, well, we live in a society where we can't say anything negative about anyone and, and every kid gets a prize or an encouragement award, even if it means they've been naughty for 29 days in the month, but because they've been good, a good little boy this particular day, we can give them an encouragement award just because they weren't so naughty today. And we tend to think of encouragement as a bit of a pat on the back. Oh, you're doing okay. There's a bit of encouragement. But the Greek word paraklesin, yes, we translate it as encouragement and it can be used like that, but it's more exhortation. It's urging on. It's prodding on. All right? um, 
Anybody as old as me will remember the heyday of Australia's swimming at the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics, and who can remember Laurie Lawrence on the side of the swimming pool? I don't think I've ever seen anyone quite so animated in his urging on of his swimmers that he's been training. Go, go, go! You, you, you remember the scenes? I'm thinking, what is this crazy person doing? Now, I think that's sort of more the type of encouragement. It, it's like... For any sheep farmers, it's like, how do you encourage the sheep into the catching pen? You, you, you're really pushing them and urging them on, and you've got the dog there barking away, getting them in from the forcing pen. How, how do you cattle growers get, get the cattle up the loading ramp and into the crate? You know, with a bit of a prod, you're giving them an encouragement, you're pushing, you're urging them on. And I think that's more akin to the type of encouragement that we're talking about here. Prophecy pushes us on. It urges us on. Keep going in the faith. So upbuilding, encouragement, and the third one, consolation. Prophecy gives us comfort in our time of need. It consoles us. It cheers us. And that's why we should desire the gift of prophecy, because it benefits others. It builds them up in the faith. It urges them on when they need urging on. It comforts them in their time of need. But, but I want to be really clear here. It's not the gift itself that does these things. This is how God builds us up. This is how God urges us on. This is how God gives to us words of comfort. At least it's one of the ways he does it. Yes, he also uses a scripture. Yes, he does also use other Christians to do these things. But prophecy has a place in this. And this brings us to point number three. I suspect a fair bit of what gets passed off today as prophecy is actually pretend. Um, or it's cold reading, it's called. But the true gift of prophecy is God speaking through his prophets. And we'll talk more about cold reading later on in the message. Fourthly, prophecy is a sign for believers, not for unbelievers. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, prophecy is a sign for you. How? Verse 24 says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outside enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, but that sort of makes it sound more like it is a sign for unbelievers more than what it is for believers. And yet Paul's telling us, no, 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 it's a sign for believers, not for unbelievers. So what's going on? What is the most amazing miracle that God could do in our presence here this morning? A burning bush, perhaps? The resurrection of the dead? I'll tell you what the most amazing miracle would be for us is if there is an unbeliever present who becomes so convicted by the power of God that he falls on his face, worshipping God and declaring God is really here. He, he's in you, Lord. Hey, what would that do for your faith? What does that do for our faith when we see an unbeliever 
for no reason of what we've done, but simply because of the power of God, just falls on his face and turns his heart toward God. What an encouragement, eh? But this also brings us to our fifth point. Prophecy is more than preaching. Uh, sometimes we muddle our terms up a bit. We're, most people will call what I'm doing now preaching. Right? Michael's the preacher for today. And usually I will do a little bit of preaching in my message, but usually most of what I do in, when I speak at church is teaching. Um, that's what I do. My gift is a gift of teaching. And today I'm teaching about prophecy. But when I proclaim Jesus Christ, either to a believer or an unbeliever, and urge them on into the faith or urge them on in the faith, that's more preaching. And so very often, preaching and teaching will go together. We do the two things at once. And so most of what I do will be teaching, um, but always looking for an opportunity to throw in a bit of preaching there. And prophecy is a bit like that. It is also often combined with preaching. But prophecy isn't only preaching. Prophecy is where God reveals a message to someone. Sometimes um, it, it might be a new revelation about God's will and God's purpose for an individual or for a church. Sometimes it'll be an affirmation or an application of what we already know from the scriptures. So let me give you a couple of examples of New Testament prophecy. In Acts chapter 13, through the gift of prophecy, Paul and Barnabas were selected for a particular mission. Now, we know through the scriptures that we are all called to the mission of God, don't we? Put up your hand if you're called to the mission of God. Come on, Sammy, put your hand up. Uh, good fella. Good job, Sammy. We are all called to the mission of God. Um, but here we're told that Paul and Barnabas, through the gift of prophecy, were called to the mission of God. So what, what, what was different? Well, through the gift of prophecy, the Lord revealed a particular call to a specific people, Paul and Barnabas, to a specific mission. He took the general call that we all have and through prophecy, he made it specific and intentional to those two people. In 1 Timothy chapters 1 and 4, Paul reminds Timothy of the prophetic call that he had received. Uh, now, what an encouragement that would have been for Timothy when things were getting tough. Um, I don't know if you can understand this or not but things got tough for Timothy when he was a preacher in a church um, when he was leading a church goodness we would never do that to a leader surely um, but they did to Timothy now but what an encouragement that it was able to be to Timothy when things were getting tough to be reminded that God had spoken through a prophet to send Timothy on that mission. And so Timothy could be assured that he was leading that church, not by his own will, but at the direction of God. And personally, for me, uh, prophecies through dreams and visions have been a great encouragement to me over the years. And so God calls us all to ministry. He calls you too 
But for me specifically, um, how do I know that the ministry of Bush Disciples is where God wants me ministering? Well, I can look back to what just before we first began, when I when it all began as a prophetic word for me, when I just woke up with the words Bush Disciples in my head, and then I just wrote out the outline for the ministry. And then before I'd finished my breakfast, um, another Christian in another church in town sent me a text and he said, Michael, I, and he's never done this before, by the way, and he's never done it since, but on that day he sent me a text and he said, Michael, I just had a vision of you and there was a lamp lighting your path. And for me, that was all the confirmation I needed. So I had a prophetic word that God sent to me, a prophetic vision that God had sent to this other person. And so for me, I, whenever things start getting tough, I just can look back and go, yep, well, I know this is where God wants me. And until God gives me some new marching orders, this is where I have to stay, no matter how tough it gets or, or no matter how much I feel, oh, I should go and do something else. Right, so, so that's just a few examples of how through the gift of prophecy, God reveals a particular call to a particular ministry. But the gift of prophecy can also, as God wills, give us insight into the future. Does anyone here know a chap by the name of Agabus? No, he wasn't the inventor of the abacus. Um, Agabus is his name, and Agabus makes two appearances in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11, reading from verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all of the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. All right, so, so God revealed through Agabus that there was going to be a famine. And so they were able to get together some relief and, and send it to the Christian church in Judea. Isn't that beautiful, hey? God knew of their need. He knew that it was going to happen. And so God revealed to it, revealed it to them before it even happened so that they could send off all of this aid so that they could have Tucker to get them through the famine, even before it happened. And then in Acts chapter 21, we read, While they were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased. And said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. 
My, oh my, the, the name it and claim it fraternity, the word faith movement, wouldn't welcome Agabus into their churches, would they? I mean, both of, his, both of his prophecies recorded in the book of Acts were not exactly great glad tidings of joy, were they? Uh, there's going to be a famine, everyone. Oh, yay. Uh, Paul's going to be bound and imprisoned. Oh, dear. Yeah, you know, there are some Christians out there who believe that the power is in our words. They talk about, you know, whether we speak blessings or whether we speak curses, and that's going to make all of the difference to what happens to other people and what happens to us. Um, and if Agabus had given this prophecies in one of those churches, somebody would have probably jumped up and gone, oh, I negate those words in the name of Jesus. You can't say those words, Agabus. You've, you, you got it. You've just put a curse on Paul. You, you can only say good things. If you say good stuff, then good stuff will happen. What a load of rubbish. You know, that's what makes a false prophet. False prophets are those who are always wanting to tell us what our itching ears are wanting to hear. But God isn't always going to have nice things to say to us. You see, prophecy, it is for the purpose of encouragement, but it won't always be encouragement from a fleshly perspective. Right? So prophecy is always an encouragement to the spiritual person, but it's not always encouraging to the fleshly person. Even the prophecy that, that Paul was going to be bound and imprisoned some sort of something to be, to be avoided. Oh, we can't let that happen. Um, whereas Paul saw it as an encouragement. Some tried to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem. We don't want you in prison, but, but Paul had the spiritual perspective. I don't care if I go to prison. I, I'm ready to die for Jesus. But can't you see that Paul would have been so greatly encouraged that when he was bound... And when he was in chains and in prison, that he could know that, oh, it's not that everything's gotten mucked up. God knew this was going to happen. God didn't promise me that all good stuff was going to happen to me. This is tough to go through. God's plan hasn't gone to putty. God is still in control. Okay, so the gift of prophecy, it isn't only preaching. It can give us specific direction in following God. It can, if God wills, give us insights into the future. And it's always an encouragement if we're thinking spiritually. Not so much if we're thinking fleshly. So how should the gift of prophecy be used? Well, by its nature... Uh, the gift of prophecy isn't something we should take lightly. In Romans chapter 12, it says, If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. And let me tell you, it takes a lot of faith. Not to only know that God has given you a message, but it, gives you, it takes even more faith to then go, actually, I need to share this with somebody else. As I think God's saying this. It takes a lot of faith to do that. But if you believe you have a gift of prophecy, only ever share a word if you are certain it's from God. And this is very important. Because if we start sharing stuff as, as, a, as words from God and it's not from God, 
that can be terribly destructive. And you know what that makes us? False prophets. And for this reason, God builds safeguards into his church. There are safeguards that God builds into his church to protect us from false prophecy. Verse 29, sorry, verse 29 talks about using the gift of prophecy in a church setting. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Right? So how do we weigh what a prophet says? How do we test everything? Well, the first and most obvious test is from the scripture. If a prophecy is from God, it will never, ever contradict scripture. So, for example, if someone was to say to you, Jesus is returning on such and such a day, Will you believe them? No, you won't believe them because Jesus said, no one knows the hour or the day. It's going to be a very big surprise when Jesus turns up. Your lounge room's not even going to be tidy. You won't even have your laundry folded. It's just going to happen. Jesus is here. If somebody brings a prophecy and says to you, it's okay to lie in this particular situation because if you don't, you're going to offend that person. Will you believe them? No, because the scriptures always tell us it's wrong to lie. Um, that is a word from a false prophet. The scriptures consistently teach us that lying is evil. A second way prophecy is tested is by other prophecies. If prophecies are from God, they will be consistent. And so you might have noticed in that reading there, it said that only two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh up what is said. And God isn't double-minded. What he shares with one prophet will be consistent with what he shares with another. Thirdly, a prophet can be tested by the content of his character. If a prophet is operating in the power of the Holy Spirit then his character should display the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Jesus gave us a pretty strong warning in Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognise them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right? So a godly prophet will be living a godly life. 
And so I reckon it's important that when it comes to the gift of prophecy, that we should never be too quick to receive someone as a prophet. We cannot receive someone as a prophet until we know them well enough to know the content of their character. Fourthly, there's a very important spiritual gift called the gift of discernment. Those who have the gift of discernment will just know. How will they just know? Because God reveals it to them. Uh, while some people will get very excited about a certain prophet or a certain prophecy, others, those who have the gift of discernment, will be feeling anxious or disturbed even to the point of feeling sick in their guts because they just know, hey, this person isn't from God or what this person is sharing is not from God. And as a church, uh, we need to learn to listen to those who have the gift of discernment. It's a very important gift. And those with the gift of discernment need to start exercising their faith and speak up a bit um, and share their concerns with the body. The gift of discernment isn't only for the individual. It's so the whole body can know that someone is true or false. Some false prophets operate from the power of Satan. Um, others use a skill called cold reading. Um, you're familiar with that term, cold reading? Did anyone here ever used to watch the TV show called The Mentalist? Yep. Okay, cold reading is what he did. Okay. So what he did, he trained himself to be able to pick up on the cues of, of, of people. And he'd, he'd notice stuff about them that most of us wouldn't notice. And so he was able to, to look at them and just work out stuff about them and then just ask a couple of questions and by their simple answers, he'd learn a lot more about them and then he'd train himself that he could just speak in a way that you know, he'd say stuff and they'd go, oh, how could you possibly know that? You must be psychic, you know? Um, and I actually suspect that a lot of what passes for prophecy today in some churches is cold reading. I've seen it done um, here in this very town. A so-called prophet was brought to town to prophesy in a particular church, and I'm certain that what this man doing was doing was cold reading, and um, cold reading those who went forward for prophecy and then telling them exactly what they wanted to hear. And, you know, every message that I heard him give was either vague enough it could apply to a large number of people, um, but it was usually a message that would appeal to the flesh. So it might be a message like, God is going to make you into a leader, or God is going to give you a wife, or God is going to take care of your financial troubles, or God is about to break through in that area that you've been praying for for so long. Right? Stuff that could either be vague or stuff which is just appealing to our flesh. Um, but I saw him get it wrong in a couple of cases. False prophets, they'll usually tell us what we want to hear and their message will usually be quite appealing to the flesh. But do you know why the devil's so big on false prophecy? It's because he wants us 
to get so burned by false prophecy and to see there's so much of it around that we'll just write off prophecy altogether and we'll never recognise true prophecy. You see, God has given us something good. He's given something to build his church up. And the evil one, he perverts it. He mimics it. He distorts it with his lies. And because false prophecy is so destructive, it scares us away from prophecy altogether. So that in most churches today, we hardly ever see it. We either see false prophecy or no prophecy at all. You're good Bible-believing Christians, aren't you? Yeah? Good Bible-believing Christians? I want to urge you to remember what the Scripture says. Eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Don't despise prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak in church but test what they say. Are we obedient to that Scripture? Will we be obedient to that scripture? Who's going to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy? Who's going to stop despising prophecy? Who are the two or the three prophets who are going to speak in our church? To bring a word from the Lord to us today. If you believe the Lord has given a message to you to share with someone else, I don't know about you, but I reckon I'd be scared witless. Like, how do you do that? What if I was wrong? What if they don't accept what I say? How will I look? What if, what if, what if? It takes a lot of faith to prophesy. But if God has given you that gift, he, he's given it not for you to keep to yourself. It's for the purpose of building up the church. Does God speak to you? Does God tell you stuff through words or mind pictures or dreams or through the scriptures? Does God reveal to you stuff that's going to happen and sure enough, it happens? If so, the Lord might actually be developing in you a gift of prophecy and you need to pray about it and ask the Lord to guide you in how to use that gift. And remember, prophecy is a ministry of the church. If you believe that God is developing the gift of prophecy in you, talk to me about it. Talk to the elders about it. And likewise, if you believe that you can see the gift of prophecy in someone else, encourage them. That's part of us building each other up. The gift of prophecy, eagerly desiring and carefully discerning. We might pray, hey? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for all of the spiritual gifts that you give to us. I want to thank you for the gift of prophecy that you give. And Lord, I suspect there might be some of us here today who want to confess to you that we in the past have been guilty of despising the gift of prophecy. We've been too fast to reject it, 
We've been too fast to write people off. Um, and we haven't eagerly desired either that gift for ourselves or to see it at work in the church. And Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for that. And Lord, I, I want to pray that you will bring to us the gift of prophecy. That more and more that as we follow you, we would grow closer and closer to you and that you would reveal your word to us. Lord, I pray for any individuals here who you have given the gift of prophecy, but they just haven't recognised it yet. And Lord, I pray that you would develop that gift. And Lord, I pray that we would all be a people who grow so close to you that we will instantly recognise when you speak through a person and when, it, when you don't. As we get closer and closer to you, the better we know you, the better we will know your voice. And so when somebody speaks in your name, that we will recognise your voice and know that this is a message from God. Lord, we just pray that through the use of this gift that this church would be built up, that we would come to know you more, and Lord, that, that we would be able to follow you as your disciples. And Lord, I want to thank you for that word that came to us today about how we are all saints. Lord, I want to thank you for that word, and I thank you that as we give our hearts to you, that you make us saints you make us holy lord i want to thank you that we don't become saints by doing good stuff i want to thank you that through the blood of jesus you make us saints so we can then do good stuff you have made us holy help us to live as holy we ask this in jesus name Amen.